8, verses 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You may be seated. Good morning. Good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time we've been able to spend in worship together. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. If you want to turn there with me, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Appreciate John for reading that for us. 2 Corinthians, chapter 8. And we're going to be continuing our study there in verses 1 through 9. If you had the opportunity to be with us last week, then perhaps you remember we continued our series of lessons, our series of sermons about grace in this passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, talking about how grace gives. Our study last week, and also our study this week, is centered on two main ideas that build off of one another. Main idea number one, by His grace... Our Heavenly Father has given to us everything that we have. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you grateful that that is a reality in our lives? By God's grace, our Heavenly Father has given to us everything that we have. We don't deserve a thing from God. Instead, God has given us all things by His grace. What a beautiful reality that that is. What a beautiful reality we experience on a daily basis as followers of Jesus. So how should we respond to that? Well, that leads us to our second main idea that we're talking about in this study. Because God has graciously given to us, we should be willing to graciously give to others. By His grace, our Heavenly Father has given to us everything that we have. So whether we're talking about our time, whether we're talking about our talents, our resources, our finances, our money, whatever it is, because God has given graciously to us, We should be willing to give graciously to others. I believe that those are the two main ideas that Paul wants to present to the Corinthians when you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. First, he wants them to know that God's grace had given to them everything that they had. And because of that, they should have a willingness, and what we're going to say this morning, they should have an eagerness, a passion to give graciously to others. To others. Remember the context of this passage. In the book of 2 Corinthians, as Paul writes this letter, he is in the process of collecting a contribution for needy saints in the city of Jerusalem. 
Christians, saints who were struggling as a result of a severe famine. Paul is appealing to the church at Corinth to complete their contribution to this collection which they had begun about a year ago. As Paul appeals to the Corinthians to give to this collection, he points to the example of the churches in Macedonia for how they should give. We believe when we study the book of 2 Corinthians that Paul probably wrote this letter from Macedonia. So as he's writing from Macedonia, he's looking at the Christians that he's surrounded by on a daily basis and saying, Corinth, you need to follow their example. You need to give to this collection. You need to give to this contribution as they have. I find it interesting to note how Paul begins talking about the example of the churches in Macedonia. When you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. That's the key. That's the key phrase to unlocking the meaning and the significance of this passage. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. As Paul talks about the churches of Macedonia, I want you to notice again where he starts, where he begins. He doesn't start by saying, we want you to know about how these churches have given so graciously to this contribution. Look at their example. Follow their example. He's going to say that, but that's not where he begins. He begins by saying, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given to these congregations in Macedonia. He does not begin by explaining how they gave. He begins by explaining why they gave. The grace of God was given among the churches of Macedonia. They were recipients of God's grace. By God's grace, He had given to them everything that they had. So how did they respond to that? They responded to that by giving graciously because God had given graciously to them. What does grace do in our lives? Grace gives. Last week, we talked about four different ways that grace gives in the first few verses of this section. We said that grace gives joyfully despite affliction in verse number two. Grace gives generously despite poverty also in verse number two. Grace gives sacrificially in verse number three. Grace gives voluntarily, verse three, and also verse eight. You know, I thought about changing that word just a little bit because of the smackdown that the Vols got yesterday. I could have changed it to willingly or something, but decided to leave that up there. They gave of their own accord. They gave because they decided to give. As we continue to walk through this passage together, I want us to notice four other ways that grace gives in our lives. Number five, grace gives eagerly. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 4. If you've ever been a part of a fundraiser, if you've ever been a part of an act of raising money, you know that in order to get people to give, you have to ask. And sometimes asking doesn't do it, so you have to beg. And sometimes, even when you beg, it still doesn't quite work out, does it? It reminds me of the preacher who was trying to motivate the congregation where he was preaching. He came up to the pulpit and said, Church, we need to walk. The deacon sitting on the front row that sat there for his entire life encouraged the preacher, Amen, preacher. This church needs to walk. The preacher continued. He started getting a little bit fired up. He was getting some amens from the deacons sitting on the front row. Church, we don't just need to walk. We need to run whenever it comes to the gospel. 
The deacon on the front row once again shouted out, Amen, preacher, I agree that the church needs to run. So the preacher continued, Church, we don't just need to walk. We don't just need to run. We need to fly whenever it comes to the gospel. And the deacon once again responded, Amen, preacher, the church needs to fly. Now the preacher's ready to make his main point. Do you know what it takes for the church to fly? It takes money. The deacon on the front row said, Amen, preacher. Let the church walk. He was content to walk. Once he found out that flying was going to require a little bit of giving, he was content to go back to step number one. And that's the way that it oftentimes is, right? If someone's going to give to something, then you have to ask. If someone's going to give to something, then you have to beg. And oftentimes that doesn't even work. Notice that that wasn't the case with the churches of Macedonia. In fact, that could not be farther from the truth of what we see in these congregations. Paul did not have to beg them to give to this collection. It seems Paul didn't even ask them to give to this collection. You go back to verse number 2 and you read about their deep and extreme poverty. And then we go down to verse number 5. We're going to get there in just a second. Paul didn't even expect them to give to this collection because of the poverty that they found themselves in. But notice what they did. Verse number 4 Paul says, this is talking about the churches of Macedonia, they were begging us earnestly for the favor. That Greek word for favor is the same word for grace. They were begging us earnestly, urgently, eagerly, Paul says, for the favor. Begging us earnestly for the grace of taking part or having fellowship in, literally, the relief of the saints. Somehow the churches in Macedonia found out about this collection, this contribution that Paul was going to take to the needy saints in the city of Jerusalem. And when Paul came to them in Macedonia, it's as if they got down on their hands and knees. Please, let us be a part of this. Please let us give to this. Please let us take fellowship in providing for the relief of the saints. He says they were begging us earnestly, I think they recognized the grace that they had received despite their deep extreme poverty. They recognized that God's grace was given among them, chapter 8 and verse number 1. And as a result, that created within them an eagerness, an earnestness, an urgency to give to this collection, to give to their brothers and sisters who were struggling. They didn't ask to give as just a formality. You know, sometimes we do that. We ask people and and it's just a formality in asking the question they didn't ask just to be nice they had been genuinely transformed genuinely converted by the grace of God and that created an eagerness in them to give just like God had given to them number five grace gives eagerly a father gave to his young daughter two dollars one Saturday morning And said, with the first dollar, you can do anything that you want to do with it. You can spend it on whatever you want to spend it on. But the second dollar, you have to give to the Lord. She was excited about that. They lived in the city. She ran out her front door a couple of blocks on her way to the nearest candy store to spend her one dollar bill. When she was on the way there, she tripped and fell. And when she tripped and fell, one of the dollars fell into the storm drain on the sidewalk. She got up, dusted herself off, looked up to the sky, and said, well, Lord, there goes your dollar. Are we ever like the little girl in that story? 
the little girl in that illustration, we're so eager to use and to spend what our Father has given to us on ourselves. Whether it's our time, our talents, our resources, our money, our finances, we're so eager, we're so earnest, we're so urgent to spend what God has given to us on ourselves. When His dollar goes down the drain, we don't even really think about it. When His dollar goes down the drain, it's without the blink of an eye. When we think about the grace of God that's been given to us, how our Heavenly Father, by His grace, has given to us everything that we have, that should create within us an eagerness and a passion for giving to others. Giving to those who are in need. We should find ourselves on our knees. Not just in gratitude for what God has done in our lives, but we should find ourselves on our knees looking for, begging for opportunities to give. To give as the Lord has given to us. Number five, grace gives eagerly. Number six, grace gives faithfully. When you look at chapter eight and verse number five, we mentioned this a few times in this study. Paul didn't expect the churches in Macedonia to give to this collection because of their deep and extreme poverty. I imagine he was very surprised when they came before him in verse number four on their hands and knees saying, please let us give, please let us be a part of this, partaking in what Paul calls grace in verse number four. So why did they give? They didn't have to give. They weren't asked to give. Paul didn't expect them to give. So why did they give to this collection? When you look at verse 5, long before a penny entered into this contribution, long before this contribution was even thought of, long before the famine existed in the city of Jerusalem, these Christians in Macedonia had given themselves to the Lord. They had surrendered everything. They had surrendered everything that they were. They had surrendered everything that they had to Jesus' Lordship and authority. They had looked at Jesus to say, my life's not about me. My life's about you. My life is not about what I want. Now my life is going to be about what you want. My life doesn't belong to me, Jesus. My life belongs to you. Paul says they first gave themselves to the Lord. Then what? He says, then by the will of God, then by doing what God wanted them to do, they gave themselves to us by contributing towards this collection going to the city of Jerusalem. Their giving towards this contribution wasn't just giving for the sake of it. They gave to this collection even when Paul didn't expect them to because they had first given themselves to Jesus. They had first submitted and surrendered everything they had and everything that they were to His Lordship and to His authority. Grace gives faithfully. Grace gives out of a faithfulness, a dedication, and a submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever I moved into privileged housing, which is for seniors at Freed Hardman University, it was the first time that I had had a kitchen in college. None of the other dorms at Freed Hardman have a kitchen except for the ones designed for seniors. Well, since you have a kitchen in your dorm room, the majority of the time, seniors don't get meal plans. So you're not going to the cafeteria to get breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're cooking on your own. On those meals when Leslie didn't come and help me cook, the air fryer became my best friend. And maybe that's true for some of you too. It's so 
easy to work. After I had used it a few times, one of my roommates, I had three roommates at that time, one of my roommates asked me if he could use it. And of course, I didn't have a problem with that. I didn't have a problem with him taking it and using it. But he asked me how it worked. So I explained it to him. And I was joking around at first. Okay, the first thing you have to do is plug it in. Here's the plug. See the socket on the wall. You insert the plug into the socket, step number one. And then I got a little bit more serious. Now you pull out the basket. He was wanting to make uh, warm up his chicken tenders. So he's going to put his chicken tenders into the basket. You shut it. You set the heat. You set the time. And about 15 minutes later, the chicken tenders are ready to go. So one evening, he did that very thing. He got out his frozen chicken tenders, put it into the air fryer, put it into the basket, shut it, set the temperature, set the time. The timer started clicking. About 15 minutes later, it dinged. Pulled out the basket. Chicken tenders were still frozen solid. Can you guess what he had forgotten to do? He'd forgotten to plug it in. I don't think I'm ever going to let him live that down because I had specifically told him, yeah, first you plug it in. And he still forgot to plug it in. If you don't first plug in the air fryer, you're not going to warm up your Tyson chicken tenders. If you don't first plug in the air fryer, then the air fryer is not going to work like it should. And we find a similar idea here in chapter 8 and verse number 5. If you don't first submit yourself to Jesus, if you don't first give yourself over to Him, you're really going to struggle to live out the heart of this text. You're really going to struggle to give in the way that this text specifies. Maybe as we've been reading through and studying through this text, you've been thinking to yourself, this isn't me. This isn't the way that I've been giving. This isn't the way that I use my time or my talents or my money or my resources. This just isn't what I do. Have you given yourself to the Lord? And I'm not just asking you, have you been baptized? I'm not just asking you, have you become a Christian? I'm asking you, have you surrendered everything at His feet? Have you taken everything that you are, everything that you can be, and everything that you have and said, Jesus, it's not mine, it's yours. Is your life about you or is your life about Him? If you don't first give yourself to the Lord, this text is going to be a real challenge. It's really a challenge anyway. But if we don't surrender ourselves, if we don't submit ourselves to the Lord, His authority, His power, His grace, then we're really going to struggle to give to others who are in need. Grace gives faithfully. It gives out of a faithfulness and a dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number seven, grace gives completely. When you look at chapter 8 and verse number 6, Paul tells the church at Corinth that they can expect a visit from Titus. This is the same Titus that Paul, a little bit later in his life, wrote a letter to three chapters. We have it recorded for us in the New Testament. It seems that Titus had gone to visit the church at Corinth before. It seems that Titus, in visiting the church of Corinth about a year earlier, began their process of giving to this collection or contribution. Paul tells them to expect him again. He's going to come to the church at Corinth again, more than likely carrying this letter but also having another purpose, when you look at verse number 6, he says, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should what? So he should complete among you this act of grace. We said last week in verse number 8, Paul's not forcing them to give to this collection. This is not a command from the Apostle Paul. He's not commanding them to do this by his apostolic authority. Instead, he calls it an act of grace. 
Here's an opportunity to give to struggling Christians as the Lord has given to you. He says Titus is going to come back and when Titus comes back, he's going to finish what he started. Grace gives completely. It doesn't just give to a certain point and then it gives up. It doesn't just give partially. It, ju- it doesn't just give the bare minimum. No, grace gives completely. I think we see that also in verse 7. Paul, in verse 7, identifies the church of Corinth as a very talented congregation. He says that they excelled in everything. That same word for excel, you go back to verse 2 and you read the word abundance. You read the word overflowing. It's the same Greek word. The church at Corinth excelled and overflowed and abounded in almost every area. Paul gives five examples. He says, first, they excelled in faith. They had a strong belief and trust in Jesus. They excelled in speech, very talented in teaching and sharing and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. They excelled in knowledge, number three. They had a deep knowledge of God. A deep knowledge of God's nature. A deep knowledge of what God desired for them. He says they excelled in earnestness or eagerness. They weren't just playing on the outside. They were eager on the inside for the gospel. They were passionate and zealous for the cross of Jesus Christ. And then number five, he says they excelled in love. Specifically, the love that existed between them and Paul. The love that Paul had for them and the love that they had for the Apostle Paul. So based on that, Paul says, just like you've excelled in everything, excel in this act of grace. Look, here's an opportunity to give just as the Lord has given to you. Not because you have to, but an act of grace. Giving something that isn't deserved. Giving something that is not merited. Just like you abound and overflow in every area. Paul says, I'm asking you to abound and overflow in this act of giving. Grace gives completely. I love the illustration that we have of that in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 35. You remember that story? Jesus is responding to a group of Pharisees. He's told them to love their neighbors like they love themselves, but they responded wanting to justify themselves, saying, who is my neighbor? Jesus, in verse number 30, says, think about this. There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a very dangerous stretch of road. And he fell among robbers. Those robbers took everything that he had, beat him to an inch of his life, and left him laying half dead on the side of the road. It just so happened in verse 31 and in verse 32 that there was a priest, there was a Levite who passed by. Two religious people. If you were half dead on the side of the road, these were the kind of people you'd want to see. But they both did the same thing. They saw the man laying there, got as far to the other side of the road as they could, And pass by. But, verse 33, a Samaritan. Stands in contrast to the priest and Levite, doesn't he? When he saw the man laying on the side of the road, he had compassion. That's the difference between the Samaritan and the priest and the Levite. Here is one who had compassion on this man who had been beaten to an inch of his life. And because he had compassion on him, I want you to notice how he gave to him. Notice how completely the Samaritan gave. Verse 34, he went to him. That's the first step. Whenever everyone else passed by on the side of the road, the good Samaritan went up to this man. He took care of his wounds, bound his wounds. He cleaned his wounds, pouring on them oil and wine. Then he set the man on his own animal. Now the Samaritan is walking. 
They travel to an inn. He spends the night with them, taking care of him, more than likely dressing his wounds several different times. Verse 35, the next day, the next morning, whenever he got up, which more than likely he didn't get up, he spent the whole night taking care of this man. He went to the innkeeper and gave him two denarii, which was two days' wages, and said, hey, take care of this man. Spend this two denarii on him. And if you have to spend anything else on him, just let me know. I'll pay for it whenever I see you again. Notice that the Good Samaritan doesn't give partially. He doesn't give the bare minimum. He doesn't begin to give, but then stops in the process. He gives completely. That's what grace does. Grace doesn't give partially. It doesn't give the bare minimum. It doesn't start and then give up whenever it gets difficult. When I look at this congregation collectively and I look at individuals within this congregation, I'm able to see so clearly that there are so many who excel in a lot of different areas. That's a great thing to see. There are so many people in here. And I think as a congregation, we excel, we abound, we overflow in so many different areas. The question is, are we overflowing and abounding in this act of grace? Are we excelling in the opportunities that we have To give to others just as the Lord has given to us. When God gives His grace, He gives completely. And we're thankful for that. When God gives His grace, He doesn't leave anything out. If God gives that way to us, shouldn't we give that way to others? And then finally, number eight, the last idea that we're going to see in this text is that grace gives like Jesus in verse number nine. Throughout the majority of this text, Paul has been talking about and pointing towards the example of the churches in Macedonia. Well, now in verse number 9, he points to an example that's far greater than that of the churches in Macedonia. Can you see what it is in verse number 9? He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ as far back as you can go, before the world was even here, before the world was formed, Jesus Christ existed eternally in the glories and the riches of heaven. Alongside of God the Father, alongside of God the Son, God God the Spirit rather, God the Son dwelt in the glories and the riches of heaven from eternity. But what did He make the decision to do? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich, but He made the decision to become poor. In Jesus' incarnation, He left the glories and the riches of heaven in order to come to this broken and sinful and impoverished earth. Why did He do that? Why did He make that kind of decision? Paul looks at the Corinthians and says, He did it for you. He did it for your sake. Jesus Christ was rich, but became poor, so that by His poverty, you might become rich. Now, what do you call that? Go back to the beginning of verse number 9. You call that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was nothing that the Corinthians could do to earn God the Son leaving heaven and coming to earth in the form of a man. There's nothing that they could do to merit that or deserve that. But yet, that's what Jesus did. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Leaving the glories and riches of heaven to be poor on this earth so that we who are poor by His poverty might be made 
rich. If Jesus has so graciously given to us in coming to earth His incarnation, the question is, shouldn't we be willing to graciously give to others? Jesus didn't just do that for the Corinthians. He did that for us. For our sake. For your sake. For my sake. Jesus left the glories and riches of heaven to dwell on this impoverished earth. As people, we're in spiritual poverty when we stand on our own. Jesus Christ became poor so that by His poverty we can become rich. As people, we are sinful. We are broken. The Word became flesh, John chapter 1 and verse 14, and dwelt among us so that we can be made righteous. So that we can stand in the right relationship with God. That is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can't earn that. We don't deserve that. We'll never come anywhere close. Not even in the conversation of deserving what God the Son has done for us. Yet that's the grace that He's willing to extend. So the question follows, if Jesus was willing to so graciously give to us, shouldn't we be willing to so graciously give to others. It's the main idea of this passage. 2 Corinthians 8 verses 1-9. through 9, Grace gives. We walk away knowing that by His grace our Heavenly Father has given to us everything that we have. And it's because of that. It's because God has so graciously given to us that we are willing and eager and passionate about graciously giving to other people. But what does that look like? What does it look like when grace gives in our lives? Well, here are eight ideas that I believe we can take right off the page and apply to our lives. Grace gives joyfully despite affliction. Generously despite poverty. It gives sacrificially and voluntarily. Grace gives eagerly, faithfully, completely. Grace gives like Jesus. We're so happy and so thankful for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that God extends to us through Him. Are we happy? Are we excited? Are we eager to give graciously as the Lord has given to us? If we can help you to claim God's grace in your life this morning, or if we can help you to better give in the way that this passage describes, we'd love to do that. We offer that invitation as together we stand and sing.